Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here on this first Sunday of Advent as we come together as God's people to worship him together. Please stand and join us as we begin our service by worshiping him through song. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear.
The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of hope. The prophet's words speak of a Messiah who would bring redemption and peace to his people. Humankind hopes for many things, but our longing for a Savior was our greatest desire. This hope was fulfilled in the birth of the Christ child. On this first Sunday of Advent, we light this candle as a symbol of Christ, our hope, remembering the words of the Christmas carol. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship.
Father, we come today to give you glory. We have come through a week in which we set aside time to give you thanks. We want our lives, everything about our lives and our worship to be continually offering thanks and praise to you. As we move into the season of Advent, we pray that you will stir our hearts about the coming of Christ. 
Bless our worship today. Let it please you and draw us closer to you and to one another. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. I hope you had a, a wonderful uh, holiday week, and as we transition into Advent, uh, it's an exciting time to remember the coming of Christ over the next few weeks as we move toward Christmas. Uh, there are um, some different things happening uh, in, the, in our church over the next few weeks because of the holiday time. Uh, tonight, we will not be uh, having any activities. Um, next Sunday night, uh, we will have a service of baptism. And if you are interested in being baptized and haven't yet contacted me, uh, you want to do so uh, probably by tomorrow or you can talk to me today and uh, we will uh, get you into a part of that and the baptism next Sunday night. Wednesday night, all of our ministries are on regular schedule. You do notice that there's a special event for the boys club and you can see that in the bulletin. Uh, also, next Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday, uh, Andy Bannister will be here and he will be uh, doing a seminar Saturday morning. There are some, there was an insert in the bulletin last week. There are more of these on the back table that you can pick up one and it has a form that you can tear off half of it and uh, turn that in uh, about your interest in attending. And I'd love to have you be a part of this gathering as he talks about um, the uh, Christian Muslim uh, connections and uh, the way to, to help witness to Muslims and just working, living in that culture. He's an expert in that. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that gathering this coming Saturday. Uh, also, there are uh, weekly or devotional guides available to you for the Sundays of Advent or on the back table. I encourage you to take as many of those as you want and use that either on your own as a family or your dorm, whatever you want to do. And also, uh, we have more of the recipe books, the Fruit of the Spirit recipe books available from the back table. And uh, feel free to take one of those uh, as well this morning as you go. Um, we are um, just excited about this Advent season. And we are anticipating God to do some great things in our lives and the lives of others. And we are praying that God will continue to work around the world as uh, we remember the coming of Christ and what all of that means. Our scripture today is from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 26 is where I start. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The ushers are now invited to come forward for our tithes and offering, and children are dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. So this is how it was, a silent night like any other. When heaven sent the one, the one that we would call our Savior, and redemption began in a stable in Bethlehem, all of the
We have the opportunity to offer to God our prayers. If you'd like to offer your prayers, kneeling here at the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, as we begin another Advent season, we pray that you will open our eyes to the fullness of Christ's coming. Help us to see once again, and perhaps for the first time, the hope, the joy, the peace grace and mercy of what the coming of the Christ child means not just for us but for the whole world we pray that during this season as we open our eyes to you that we will be more teachable that we will invite you to change us That you will give us a new hunger for your eternal word. We pray, Father, that you will make us renewed people. Who give up the ways of violence and war and power. And instead commit ourselves anew to peace. And humility and love. Make us people who are more interested in helping others in need rather than in conquering them, controlling them, defeating them. Father, we pray that you will fill us with courage to defend the defenseless and to protect the most vulnerable. And to stand up for those who are innocent in this world. Father, we are especially cognizant of the need for peace as we watch events throughout the world. We pray that you will give to the leaders of the nations of the world wisdom in dealing with turmoil. Help them to make decisions that would ease conflicts rather than escalate them. Father, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you will bring about peaceful solutions that seem impossible to us. Father, we continue to pray for all who are struggling to recover from recent disasters. We pray for hope in the midst of despair and healing in the midst of great pain and comfort in the midst of unimaginable grief. And we ask for the presence of Christ in ways that you alone are able to bring. Father, as we prepare 
the way of the Lord this Advent season. Keep in your gentle care all of us in our need, our burdens, our struggles. We pray, Father, that you will heal every illness. Give peace to all who are filled with anxiety and worry and fear. Give direction to us as we stand at the crossroads of life's uncertainties. Reconcile what seems irreconcilable. Encourage when all hope seems lost. Provide for needs that just simply seem to be far too much. Let all of us and all of this world be touched by the coming of Christ again. It is in his name that we offer our prayers. And the one from whom we learn the model for prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. Come the long expected Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in thee Israel's strength and consolation
We are a, a culture enamored with time. If we had a few moments, I would ask you to, to think about how many timepieces you have in your house. How many timepieces do you carry around with you? You know, we have, not only do we have clocks, we have, you know, we have clocks that will uh, make some kind of annoying sound to get our attention. We have uh, clocks that will play the radio and all kinds of different music. We wear watches, and ironically enough, I forgot to put on my watch this morning. Uh, we, uh, we, have, we have clocks on our phones. Uh, we, we are enamored with time. We, we are continually thinking, what time is it? Uh, the comedian Victor Borga once said that he could tell time by his piano. A friend said, what are you talking about? You could tell time by your piano. So he sat down and he started banging on his piano. And there was a pounding on the wall of the apartment next door. And a guy yelled out, stop that racket. Don't you know it's 1.30 in the morning? <laughs> you know, we, we're always thinking about time. What time is it? How much time do we have? When does that start? When is this supposed to end? Right? We're, we're all about time. And it's not just out there. It's in here too. The church, we're enamored with time. You know, we're thinking about how, how much time we, uh, we're going to be here. When does the thing start? When does it end? During, the, during our series on the fruit of the Spirit, we were you know, putting the, Bev's beautiful paintings on the back, the facing of the balcony there. And the first one was love. We put that right in the middle, which meant that we had to take that clock out. And that was a little bit concerning because there was no other way to know what time it was. So I had to bring a clock from home and we had it up here in the front. I was pretty sure that at some point somebody would say, time, we'll tell you what time it is, time to leave, right? But it's not just about time. I mean, time is one thing. You know, the, the chronology of time is one thing. And, and in, in the Greek, there are, there are two words for time. You know, it's chronos and kairos. And chronos tends to be about, you know, like clocks. Days and hours and minutes and years. It's a chronological time. We get that word. But it's not just about time. It's about timing. And we are about timing too. Which is a little more related to the other word kairos. It's not just that it starts at a certain time. And it ends at a certain time. It's not just about counting hours and minutes and days and weeks and months. But it's about, it's about the event taking place in time. And when we think about timing, we, we, are also, we also think a lot about timing. You know, we're out driving and we will say, we timed those lights just right. Or we, we got here at just the right time. We even talk about people who are ahead of their time. Timing is, is a lot of, about what we think about and how we live our lives. And what's fascinating to me is that you would think time and timing would be just a human thing, but it's not. God is concerned about time and timing as well. If you think about it, God's kingdom is all about timing. When you read the scriptures over and over and over again, we, we find stories and incidents that are about God's timing. 
Timing is essential to God's understanding God's kingdom. You go back to the Old Testament. And you think a story of Abraham. And God says to Abraham when he's 75 years old. I'm going to give you an heir. Out of which the whole world will be blessed. And Abraham sort of scoffs at that. But he says, all right, God, I'm 75, my wife's 74, but you can do this. And they wait and wait and wait. And God's timing is 25 years later before Isaac is born. And it's at the right time that Isaac comes. And it's God's timing. You think about the people of Israel in, in uh, Egypt. They go to Egypt because Joseph is there and there's a famine and it's a place of rescue for them. And they spend years there and they, they grow and they multiply and the Egyptians get a little nervous about how large and powerful they're becoming. So they enslave them and they cry out to God for help. God, when are you going to come and save us? When are you going to rescue us? When are you going to free us from slavery? And God says, in my time. And 400 years later is God's time to send Moses and to bring his people out of Egyptian slavery. Throughout the history of God's people in the Old Testament, one of the great questions is, how long, O Lord? How long? And many of those questions are are being asked in relation to the Messiah. When are you going to send the promised one? You've been talking about the promised one, we believe, since back in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned and God, God not only said, here is the punishment for your sin, but here is the hope for your sin. And from that moment, people have been watching and waiting and waiting and watching For the Messiah to come. And it's all about Israel's history of waiting for the Messiah to come. The promised one who will rescue their people. Who will come and and free them. And they wait and they wait and they wait through the kings and the prophets and exile. And they wait hundreds and hundreds of years. How long, O Lord? When will your timing be right? When will we see you fulfilling what you have promised? And eventually, God fulfills that promise. And Paul writes in Galatians, in the passage we read, at just the right time, God sent his son. At just the right moment, At the time that was exactly right, at that pre-appointed time, at that that time when everything had come together just as God wanted it, God sent his son. Now I have to tell you, I don't know exactly why that particular moment was the right time. There there are theories about it. Know that that everything because of the Roman Empire and the way they'd built roads and, and language and all of those things, that all of that was just right in order to spread the gospel. And that may well be the case. 
But it's hard for us to know exactly. But God knows. And something about that particular moment, Paul says, was the right time. And in that time, when God's timing was just right, a baby was born in a Bethlehem stable. And the world was changed. And there's something about the timing of God that reveals the character and the nature of God that I think is important to us as we think about the incarnation and beyond. God can only act at the right time when, when he, if he knows what the right time is. That he is omniscient, that he knows everything that's happening, that he understands the details of life. And he understands, like no one else could possibly begin to understand, that this is exactly the right time. But God also has to be omnipotent, because it's not enough just to know what the right time is, but it's it's to be able to have the power to act at that moment and not be constrained by anything outside of himself. And something about the nature of God is involved in timing. That God wants to act at just the right time. Because underlying all that the coming of Christ means is the heart of God that is good and loving and just and right. And it's what motivates him to want to do this. And and implied... In Paul's words, at just the right time, God sent his son. Implied in the timing of God at work in the incarnation and throughout history is not just God's timing, but it's also our waiting. And that's the hard part. I mean, we love talking about God's timing being perfect. It's the waiting part of it that's not so fun. Right? We don't like waiting. We're not a culture of people who enjoy waiting. You know, one of the, one of the most frustrating places in the world is a waiting room. I mean, the very fact that we call it that ought to, to discourage us, right? I mean, we we've tried to you know change the words. We call it a lobby, or we call it a uh, you know uh, a hangout place. But it's a waiting room, right? And we set them up that way. And when we come and we know whether we're going to a doctor or a mechanic or we're waiting at an airport or whatever we may be doing, there is a place that we're going to wait. It's life. We're going to wait. And, and we, we hate those places because we want to go. And so we have created all kinds of ways and things to do in the waiting place, Right? So we put magazines in there and we put television screens in there and we carry books with us and we're and which is not a bad thing to do. But it just belies the fact how much we hate waiting. And we don't like waiting about stuff here. How much more do we dislike waiting for God? We want God to act now. We want God to act in the moment that we think is right because we have convinced ourselves that our timing is better than God's. Now, we don't like to say that out loud, right? Because, I mean, that would be ludicrous. But 
That's how we think. That's how we live. But here's what I'm discovering. It's the waiting for God that teaches us to trust God. And the, oh, I'm convinced, I'm not sure we can ever fully learn to trust God until, except when God allows us, causes us to wait. We have no reason to trust if we don't have to wait. It's in the waiting that we begin to understand that God can be trusted. And that, we, and that he is calling us to trust him. When we have to wait, we sit back, we can't do anything, we just have to wait. And somehow we have to believe that the waiting is best, that the timing isn't quite right. And it forces us to consider that and to think about that and to ponder, are we going to trust God or not? Only waiting can put us in a position where we have to do that. Now, not everyone responds to waiting with trust. Sometimes in moments of waiting, we just do it ourselves. We run, we take things into our own hands. But the point of waiting is not to frustrate us. The point of waiting is not to, to, um, to get us all anxious and worried. The point of waiting is to teach us to trust God. And somehow in our willingness to trust God, there is an affirmation of our trust in God's wisdom and grace and love and power and control. Of course, a lot of the issue is control. We want to control our lives instead of letting God control us. I've been in Damarion for a long, long time. The story in John 11 of Lazarus. Lazarus, one of Jesus' closest friends. He falls ill. He's very, very sick. And Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, a place, this is a place where Jesus often stops uh, to, to spend time. We have a few stories of Jesus going to their house. And, and they send a message to Jesus to say, look, our brother, your good friend is ill. He's very ill. He's at the point of death. We need you to come now. And inherent is that in that message is you can do something about it. And Jesus gets the message and the disciples say, they start packing up stuff. Time to go. Jesus says, no, we're not going to go yet. I'd love to see the look on their faces. No, it's not, it's not the right time for us to go yet. And they wait two more days. And finally, Jesus says, all right, let's go. When they arrive, Lazarus has died. They buried him. He's in, he's in the tomb. And when Jesus arrives, Martha says to Jesus... Lord, our brother is dead. If you had been here, parentheses, when I asked you to come, this wouldn't have happened. 
And Mary comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here when we asked you to come, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus says, I got bigger plans than just healing him. He goes to the tomb and he says, open it up. Lazarus, come forth. And the man who's been dead is now alive. And the result of that is that a whole lot of people put their trust in Jesus. And Mary and Martha see Jesus in a different light. There is a level of trust that is developed in their hearts because of Jesus and the timing of this event. We ask ourselves, okay, so it's great that we need to trust Jesus, but what's the point of that? Why is that so important to us? It's this. Only when we learn to trust Jesus will we ever know intimacy with Abba, Father. As Paul is talking here about the, the exact perfect time of the of the Christ child to be born, God sending his son into the world. He ends this by saying in, in chapter four, verse seven, he says, the spirit, because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, father. So you're no longer a slave, but you are children. And since you are children, God has made you heirs. The whole purpose of this timing, of God's timing in our lives that seems out of place sometimes, is so that we will trust him and in trusting him, so that we will know intimacy with him as our father. I mean, we we don't feel close to people that we don't trust. There's always distance with people that we, we may be friends. We might be acquaintances with them. But if we don't really trust them, if we don't really know them, we're not going to, to share intimate details of our lives with them. We don't have that kind of relationship with them. But people we trust, people who have proven themselves trustworthy to us, those are the people that we are close with, that we can, that we can share everything in our hearts with and know that they will love us and support us. And they do the same with us. And there is a bond and an intimacy with them that you can't find until you've developed trust. And the only way to develop trust is to be in positions where our trusting is tested and we're proven trustworthy. See, our struggle with each other is that we often disappoint each other. We're often not trustworthy. But God is always trustworthy. Always. And I have this image of my mind when Scripture talks about Abba, Father. And the word Abba, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard to describe, but there are people who, who equate that with the word Daddy. You know, and it's like... A, a little child crawling up into their father's lap and resting. All the worries and the cares and the burdens of life just sort of melt away because you are in the arms of the one you trust. 
And that's God's design for us. When we question God's timing, he isn't trying to just make us miserable. He isn't trying to to teach us some lesson. He's trying to draw us to himself, teaching us to trust him so that we can live in intimacy with him. And in that intimacy is peace and joy and security and hope. And it doesn't mean that life now has all of a sudden become like a, a placid sea. No more problems, no more difficulties, no more struggles. Not at all. It's just in the midst of all of that, we're in the arms of our Father. The one we can truly trust. Advent is a, is a time of, of waiting and trusting God to act in our lives. And most of the time, those things that we are waiting for with God, most of the time, the things that, that we are called to trust God because his timing isn't our timing, sometimes they're big things, but a lot of times they're just everyday things. It's trusting God in the everyday moments of life. It's trusting God and his timing that he knows best. And as we're praying about God to do things, there is a sense of trust that however God answers our prayers is good and right and perfect. Even if his answers are wait or no. Even if the timing of his answer doesn't match up what we think is the right timing. We have to come to believe that God's timing is good and perfect. And that God never acts too quickly, too slowly. Just right. I would guess that every one of us this morning has something we are wrestling with related to the timing of God. It might be something about a relationship. Might be something about a struggle that we're dealing with. Might be something we've been praying about for a long time. It might be something related to the future. And, there, but, and all, all of these things, whatever that may be, it, it's creating a spirit of anxiety in us, fear, worry, frustration, anger. Advent reminds us That waiting is not a curse. It's a gift. Waiting is not. It's not God trying to create more anxiety. 
Waiting is intended to teach us that he is trustworthy. And to find in him the joy that comes from trusting our Father and experiencing his love and grace. So I'd like for us to take a moment to ponder, to think, to pray about whatever it may be that we're wrestling with God's timing. Just a few moments of silence. And whatever that may be, to give it to God. To ask Him to help us trust Him. To be willing to wait for Him. And to hear his still small voice assuring us of his goodness and his mercy and his perfect timing. Heavenly Father, we bring before you our impatience, our skepticism, our frustration, our anxiety, our fear. We lay it before you. And we declare with the Apostle Paul that your timing is perfect. Not just about the coming of Christ, but your presence in each of our lives. Father, help us to day by day to continue to surrender, to give up control, to wait, and to see waiting as a gift. Father, let us feel your loving arms wrapped around us as we wait. And give us grace to trust you. We pray this, Father, through Christ. Amen.
please stand and join us as we sing together.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.